Um, I'd love for you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We've been going through this book for the past couple Wednesdays, and we're going to be in it for a lot of Wednesdays. If you, if you know what it's like on Wednesday nights when we study a book, we take our time. We don't rush through it. So in Colossians chapter 1, uh, there's just so much richness already in this chapter. Um, and uh, I know I'm the one preaching so sometimes the assumption is that the person who's preaching already just has it and they know it and they're just passing it on to you. But the truth is, like, I get so much out of this. You know, I, I get so excited when we get to go through these scriptures together. And so um, I want you to just open your heart because this is God's living word to us, all right? So this is not a college study on something. This is not you need to learn this so that you can impress your friends with your Bible knowledge. This is us letting God speak to us through his word. So will we let him speak to us? In fact, let's pray with that in mind. Father, we just thank you that you brought us here tonight. Uh, no matter where we came from, we, we've, we've all come from different backgrounds and places, but you brought us together um, that you would be glorified. Lord, that we are part of, we're part of a body that you designed. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would breathe life into us, that it would uh, resurrect things that have been dormant for too long. And, Lord, it would shake us up when we need to be shook, and it would uh, revive us where we need to be revived, and it would encourage us and strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. Lord, we ask that you would um, speak to us and teach us by your spirit tonight as I speak, Lord, that you would individually speak to every heart and uh, touch them with your life, uh, because we know that these are the same words that brought light into darkness. These are the same words that created the universe, and so there's power in your word. Let that power work in us as we hear and receive it in Jesus' name, amen. Colossus chapter 1, we left off um, in verse 7, uh, sorry, verse 13, and we're going to pick up there again, and um, I, my, my Bible, you know, your Bible has chapter headings usually or, or paragraph headings, and those weren't in the original text. Like, Paul didn't write, uh, you know, scene one, uh, this, you know. Uh, the translators kind of put that in there so you'd be able to kind of, it breaks it up a bit. You'd be able to know what you're about to read, and you'd be able to find scriptures again. Um, and sometimes, I, I don't know, sometimes they're a bit corny. Sometimes they miss the mark. But I really like the one that I have in my Bible here. Uh, the, the New American Standard Translators, the Lockman Foundation, they put a really cool uh, paragraph heading here. They call it the incomparable Christ, or incomparable, I guess, is the if you want to be proper, that's how we pronounce it. Um, and, and I love that, the incomparable Christ. Nothing compares to Christ. What we're about to read through Colossians, as we really dig into it, I, I think what's going to happen is you're just going to be amazed by who Jesus is, amazed, who, amazed by Christ, and you're going to find out that he's the, he's the center of everything. You know, everybody in the world is, is at some point searching for the meaning of life. Now, some will search for it more intensely than others. Some people are just kind of stumbling through life, going from situation to situation, trying to make a buck, you know, trying to uh, uh, provide for their family or whatever they see best. And then others are really making a concentrated effort to say, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? And, uh, you know, on our own, that's a bit like an ant wondering what its purpose is. You know, I, I, you see those ants wandering around. You wonder what they think of us. 
They see our feet walking around and we don't seem to be following each other and we don't seem to be uh, going in any patterns and we're running all over the place. What must they think of us? And, and when we're trying to find our own purpose, we're trying to find the meaning of life on our own, we're going to fall short. Uh, humanity uh, it was designed to live in the light of God. We were, we were designed to live in fellowship with God. So the scripture, and, and it talks about it here in Colossians, we were, when we, when we separated from God through our own action, our own rebellion, he is the light. It's not that God has light, it is that he is light, right? There's a wonderful verse in Revelation, and we read it when we were going through it on Wednesday nights, where it says that there's this great city that God's prepared for his people, and it says it has no need for the sun or the moon or the stars, for the lamb, that's Jesus Christ, the lamb is at the center of the city, and he himself is the light. So what's cool about that is, is you know, it says in John 1 that Jesus Christ, it says he is the true light. When coming into the world, he enlightens every man. So, you know, even the prophets talked about how those people that were living in darkness would see and be visited by a great light. And the cool part about that is Jesus said, if you follow me and if you believe in me, then you will always have the light of life. So this won't be a passing encounter with light. This is going to be your new way of living is you're going to live in light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the scripture says, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. So we're not talking about merely just having glimpses of light. We're talking about the fact that he wants to be such a part of your life, not just a part, but central to your life, that everything in your life is enlightened by him. Does that make sense? So things in your life that didn't quite you didn't know where they fit. You didn't know what their purpose was. Everything is lit up by him. Everything makes sense through him. And so when he says here, when we're talking about uh, uh, who Jesus is and who Christ is, um, we're really talking about the meaning of life. But when we were stumbling about round in darkness, we didn't know what the meaning of life was. It's like if you, if you blindfolded someone and you put them in a mall and you, and you ask them, you know, okay, so where is this store? Where is that store? Uh, where's the main exits? Where's the security desk? Where's the food court? Where's this? Where's the Cinnabon people? These are things we need to know. This person, they're blindfolded. They couldn't tell you this. Well, they probably could tell you where the Cinnabon was, right? You smell that a mile away. But they couldn't tell you where stuff was. They couldn't make sense of the building they're in. In fact, if you didn't tell them it was a mall, they probably wouldn't know it was a mall. So... When we're trying to figure out life without the light of God, we'll come up with some strange conclusions. You, know, you look at the religions of the world. They have come up with some strange conclusions. And all of them are in their own way seeking to find God. Paul said, it's like every culture in the world is blindly groping about hoping to find God. And in some ways, they've actually hit on something. You know, and in every culture, there's something they kind of hit on. And they may have totally misinterpreted it, but they've... They've seen a bit of God somewhere. They've been looking and they found something. And, you know, the scripture says that God rewards those that seek him. And so, you know, uh, throughout history, he has sent people to those that are seeking to reveal himself. And it's been wonderful. But Paul said to the Athenians, he said, you guys are just blindly um, grasping about trying to find God. And he says, what you've worshipped in ignorance, I'm about to tell you what you've been looking for. And that's the beauty of Jesus Christ is that he gave us definition to God. He showed us who God was. The Bible says that nobody could see God, but Jesus Christ has fully explained him to us. 
And when it says explain them, it doesn't mean that, that just by the teachings of Jesus we learn who God was. It's, it means that by looking at Jesus, we saw what God was like. That's why, for me, any theology of God, theology of God's a bit redundant, but you know what I mean? Any theology that doesn't line up with who Jesus was doesn't make sense to me. If you can't see Jesus doing it, then then you probably shouldn't ascribe that nature to God because he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So when we're talking about this, Colossians is, it just isn't waiting around in the kiddie pool. We're, he's not babying us. He's going to dive right in to the meat of it. And he says this, um, we, we, he previously talked about his prayer for you, that you'd be strengthened, uh, his prayer for the people that are reading this letter, that they'd be strengthened and that God would count them worthy of their calling and make them worthy of their calling. But then he says this, he says in verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness or the control of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now what's really interesting about verses 14 through 20, so verses 14 through 20, that's not a huge section of scripture. But in verses 14 through 20, he's going to give us 15 distinct facts about Christ or, or, or uh, uh, basically uh, views and, 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 and things that Christ is. Who is Jesus to us? So it starts out with this. In Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. In him, we have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins. That's important. The word redemption means to buy back. So Jesus bought us back. That's how we had the right to, to be rescued from darkness. He bought us back, and it was through the forgiveness of our sins. It says he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. So, so far in two verses, we've had three major bombshells of who Jesus was. Now, maybe it's not big to you because you've been coming to church for so long. Maybe this is your first day at church. Maybe this is your millionth day at church. And so if this is your millionth day at church, you go, well, of course he's the firstborn of all creation. Of course he's the image of the invisible God. And, and I think that that's good that you know that. But I would really hope that you would um, you'd let God open your eyes and, and, just, and just cause you to stand in awe again at, at something like that. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. That's amazing. An infinite God allowed himself to be displayed in finite flesh, in our human form. He said he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, when he says he's the firstborn of all creation... Some people read this and, and believe that it means that Jesus was the first created being. But he's about to tell us later in this book that Christ was not created at all. In fact, all things were created through him. He has existed before creation. So when it says he's the firstborn of all creation, he's not saying that he was the first to be created because he is God, right? He, he was, uh, he's always been. He is the ancient of the days. He's the alpha, the omega. So when it says he's the firstborn of all creation, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking in light of that redemption in light of what he did on the cross, in light of the resurrection, that he was the firstborn from the dead, the scripture says. So when he came back, he redeemed creation. He bought everything back that we busted. The scripture lays it out real quick. It didn't take us long to ruin everything. We wrecked the car that dad gave us. You see, 
a lot of times um, we just think that we're a more evolved being than the rest of the animals and the plants and that we're just sort of the same as them, just further along. But the scripture actually tells us we are created in the likeness of God. No other creation is created in the likeness of God. Angels aren't created in the likeness of God. Your puppy, as cool as he is, is not created in the likeness of God. And it was only given to mankind, humankind, to rule and reign under God, to, to have dominion over the earth. No other animal had that right. No, no angel had that right. So that was given to us alone. So we alone had that special place in his creation. And that's going to be important in a minute here. But you also have to realize, because we had that special dominion and authority, he gave us the keys to the planet. He says, here, take care of it. Uh, have dominion over it. Name the animals, you know. And in and, 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 and ancient cultures, what you named belonged to you. What you named, you had the right to name it. You basically were over it. God, God could have named the animals. He probably would have done a better job. But he told Adam, you name them. They're going to be under your command. You're going to tell them what to do. And of course, we know the story in Genesis that Adam gives up his control, that Adam and Eve both are deceived by Satan himself, and, and they fall into that trap, and they give up what God gave them through disobedience. And of course, because we know that humanity was separated from God, and, and, and I know that a lot of times we're seeking for answers of why this happened and why that happened, but everything bad that's happened to the planet and to us is a ripple of effect of that separation from God. Everything that's broken is broken because we were separated from God. And if that's the case, everything's going to be made right through reconciliation to God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. It says, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, this is a big verse, and it's probably going to be central to, to everything tonight. First of all, if you're just like a new Christian, and you came to church, and you thought, these are a lovely group of people that love one another, and they seem to follow the teachings of this great man named Jesus, then all of a sudden, when we're reading things like this, it starts to sound like a Dungeons and Dragons meeting. Starts to sound like fantasy world. I mean, he's talking about um, things created visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. What in the world are you talking about? Well, we understand that, that the world that we know, what we see is only, only a small part of reality. That, that, uh, that from the beginning, there's been unseen things that we know that the scripture tells us. Listen, Jesus told us straight up. Jesus was not shy about telling us there's the whole other world that you can't see, and that's more real than what you can see. And when he went into a region, one of the primary things he did was take control back from the, from the, the forces that had dominated, from the people that had been oppressed. Remember, part of his mission was to set at liberty those that were oppressed by the devil. Now, I've, I've heard Christians these days say, well, you know, when Jesus cast an evil spirit out of somebody and they stopped having convulsions, we know scientifically now that that was just a medical condition and, and it was, that was just the best way they could describe it then. 
And let me tell you, I believe there are medical conditions that cause those symptoms too. I get that. I believe that. But I believe when Jesus cast on, there were times where Jesus just healed somebody. It's just a physical issue. And there's times where he cast out an unclean spirit. That's a spiritual issue. Jesus knew the difference. Do you, do, how do we know it wasn't just old-timey superstition? Well, I think the best proof is when he cast a demon out of somebody, they got better. That's pretty good proof, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's proof he knew what he was talking about, right? You know, they got better when, when that, that spirit left them. And so he, went, he came into the world, and he came into a world that was broken, and it was oppressed. I've told you this before as we've been reading through this, but Jesus, the way he talks about Satan, he says things like he is the ruler of this world. He says things like he's the God of this world. He says he's the prince of the power of the air. Those seem like weird things to say about the devil. And what he's talking about is we gave control over to Satan. And Jesus came to get it back. Isn't that awesome? He came to get it back. In the book of Daniel, old Danny boy went down to the river one day because he read in his scriptures that 70 years were supposed to pass. And then the people, the exiles in Babylon, the prisoners that have been taken to Babylon were supposed to get to go back home to Judah. Daniel's from Judah. He was taken from there. He's an old man now, but he, won't, he says, it's been 70 years. We should have gone back. Jeremiah told us we were supposed to go back after 70 years. So he goes down to the river and prays about it. And he prays and he fasts and he, and he spends a lot of time there. And then he sees this vision and he can't quite describe it. And it, it's baffling to him. And he asks God, he says, God, give me, the, give me the, the meaning to this vision. You know, he didn't get out a trusty book that told him uh, bird means this, uh, fire means this. Like he, he, he asked God for the interpretation. And when he's there by the river, after three weeks, right, because we're the folks that, after 10 minutes of praying, we're like, God, why haven't you done anything yet? <sighs> Man, I got things to do. You know, Daniel's praying for three weeks, fasting and praying by the river. An angel comes to him and says, it's actually Gabriel, like, one of the top guys, comes and he says, I've been trying to get to you. God heard your prayer the moment you prayed it, but I've been fighting the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia to get to you. And I, Michael actually had to come help me. Once again, when we read this stuff, we go, well, I mean, some, some dignified Christians think this is just a bridge too far for them. I, I, I was fine with the love your neighbor as you love yourself, but uh, angel wars, I don't know if I buy into that. Well, this is the scripture. And it's the scripture Jesus believed. So if you want to follow Jesus, you've you got to believe this, right? So Daniel's, Daniel hear, is hearing this, and, and I want you to, to see what the angel said. The angel said, I, Gabriel said, I was fighting with the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia. The word prince doesn't mean son of the king. The word prince means a ruler. So I was fighting with the ruler of Greece and Persia. Well, if you read history, uh, you'll understand he was not fighting with a human being. He was fighting with, a, a, with an authority, a spiritual demonic authority that, that, that had control over those nations. Now, Colossians here just tells us that God was the one that created those thrones, those rulers, those authorities. 
Remember, it's Ephesians that tells us that our battle's not against people, but against the rulers and the principalities and the authorities and, and, and the forces of wickedness in dark places. So the scripture says our battle's actually against these authorities. So you might ask yourself, well, then why in the world would God create them? Did God just create bad guys so we can beat them up and show how strong he is? No. You see, when he created them, they weren't evil. These are fallen forces. These are fallen angels. These are uh, things that were created to be good and have been perverted and caused to be wicked. They're in rebellion. Unless we think that they're just terrible for being in rebellion, so are we. So were we before we were reconciled to Christ. Humanity was in rebellion. These authorities and rulers and dominions were in rebellion. But what does it say in Ephesians? It says that Jesus, when he, <laughs> when he did what he did on the cross, it says he disarmed all of those rulers and the authorities, and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. So that's pretty cool, because that means that he won that battle. He won it back. And the story that God's painting from Genesis to Revelation is one story. It's not a bunch of little stories. It's one long story of how God is redeeming what we broke, and he's not bypassing us. In fact, you understand as we read this that you're the first thing he redeemed. You're the first thing. Humanity is the first thing he made right again. We were the first to really mess up. Well, you might say Satan and, his, and those fallen angels were the first to mess up, but we were the ones that gave authority over to these rulers. We were the ones that gave authority over to those evil forces. They didn't have a right over the planet before we gave it to them. But now Jesus has won the right back. He got the keys back. And it says, all of these things have been created through him and they are for him. You begin to understand that as we read through Revelations a few months ago. The end of all of this is that those thrones and authorities and those dominions are being put back where they're supposed to be. That we'll rule and reign with Christ. He's not doing away with them. He's going to make them right again. In fact, everything he's going to make right again. Now, of course, we know the Bible says that this earth will be destroyed. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth, but he's making all things new again. Here's the cool thing. I, I love this, and this is where it's going to get practical for us. We've been spending some time in the heavens, and now we're going to come back for a minute. Now, the heavens are extremely practical. All of this is very practical. You have to know this affects your life. But here's where the rubber meets the road. Listen to this. This is the order of creation. This is the formula that makes everything work. This is the secret sauce. By him, everything was created. Through him, everything was created. For him, everything was created. So everything in creation is meant to follow that. Everything in creation is meant to be created by him. Everything in creation is meant to be done through him. And everything in creation is created for him. So one of the great things is that we realize that that's me too. I was created by him. I was created through him. And when we talk about created through him, we're talking about by him, we're talking about who started it. When we say through him, we're talking about his power to get it done. And for him, we're talking about purpose. So you know, everything in your life can come back to this verse. Everything you're doing with your life can come right back to this verse. 
What am I doing in life? What is my call? What has God placed on me? What is God leading me to do? Even the mundane things, did they start with him? Are they being done through him? Are they being done for him? Everything in your life, that's the order things are meant to be in. Your job, why'd you take it? I needed a job. I needed to provide for my family. Okay, awesome. I, I, I would I'd make a strong case, and you might too, that, that some of us stumble into things that God actually had preordained for us. And out of his great mercy, we, we, we found ourselves doing something that he had planned out for us, and, and that's wonderful. Some of you, it was because God directed you to it, and you made a choice. You said, Lord, you sought him, and you said, Lord, what should I be doing? Some of us end up in the wrong thing because we made the wrong decisions at the wrong time, and God's got a path back for you. But let's just imagine, let's just say you're in the right job right now. I believe most of you probably are. Let's just say you're in the right job right now. You're where you're supposed to be. How do I reclaim and reconcile my, all this time I'm spending on the job? Because listen, a a lot of us are really cool with our life being all about Jesus, except for our job, because that's for our employer and that's for a paycheck. But you realize our job takes up most of the time in our life. So if your workplace is not a place where you're there to glorify God, you're spending most of your life doing something else, right? So of course God wants to be there with you in your workplace. So you say, whatever I'm doing, am I doing it? Did it start with him? Did it start with him? And maybe maybe the answer to that is I'm not sure. Well, how do I come back to the place that it begins with him? You just, you recommit what, you recommit your ways to the Lord. The Bible talks about that. Commit your ways to God. So even if you're already doing something and you've, you've, ta- you know, you've asked God and you believe you're in the right place, but maybe it didn't start out that way, commit all of those things to God. Begin again. Let it be done starting with him. Whatever I'm doing, am I doing it through the power of God? That's how I know it's being done through him. Am I doing it through his power? In Christ, I can do all these things. Without him, I can do nothing. But through him, I can do anything. So am I doing what I'm doing through Christ, in Christ? You might say, well, my job doesn't really require any spiritual help. It's, you know, it's just, uh, it's very practical. I just get it done. But the scripture says, whatever you do, do is unto the Lord. So uh, there's a way to glorify God doing your job no matter what it is. Then it says, all things were created for him. And that's where we come down to purpose. At the end of the day, everything I do, everything that comes out of my life is going to glorify God. What does that mean to glorify God? It means to reveal him, to magnify him. That's another Bible word. Magnify means to make bigger. I want to show the world who God is. And if you're flipping burgers, you absolutely can flip burgers to the glory of God with your attitude, with the way you do it with excellence when nobody's watching, with the way you treat your coworkers around you and the customers that come to you, with the way you respond to authority and with the way you respond to people under you, you are showing them who God is. You're making him bigger. You see, you might say, well, I can't make God bigger. He's already as big as he can be. But the word magnify doesn't mean that you're making God bigger in his own sight. It means that you're making God bigger around you, to the, uh, to the people around you, to the world around you, because they've got a view of God that's very small. But as you reveal who God is, as you live out your purpose in life, as you live out this truth, God becomes bigger in their world and in your own.
He is before all things. That means he's at the front of everything. And in him, all things hold together. Wow. Everything holds together in him by his power. It's the reason the, the world is still spinning. It's the reason the universe is still expanding. It's the reason everything hasn't collided and gone off course. Everything is held together by the word of his power. It says in verse eight, uh, 18, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning he is the firstborn from the dead. Once again, we're talking about the resurrection. When it says he's the beginning, we're talking about the fact that he existed before anything was created. But then he says he's the firstborn from the dead. And he's talking about he is the first to be resurrected. We followed him in resurrection. When Jesus took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and was resurrected, he was the first, firstborn of many. It says he was the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness. All the fullness. That means everything God was, everything God is. God didn't hold anything back. He made everything to dwell in Christ. For all the fullness to dwell in him. I say whether things on earth or things in heaven... And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. You see, in those... Ten verses. Paul just told the story of everything. Like the whole story of creation. The whole story of everything in those ten verses. The whole purpose of life. This is it, guys. This is everything right here. Everything of creation. All, all of creation that was lost. All of, 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 the, of humanity that was separated. All was reconciled through Christ. I think, like I said, in, in those, in twenty, in, sorry, in seven verses, verses 13 through 20, he has made 15 statements about Christ. And in those 15 statements, I think you could find an answer to everything in life. He says later in Colossians that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So there's really not anything you need to know that you can't find out by knowing who Christ is. You might say, well, I just can't connect the dots. I need somebody to help me with that because I, you know, you're telling me these big things about who Jesus is, but listen, I'm just trying to figure out how to raise my kids. How does that connect? Everything connects when you understand who you are in him, who he is to you, and how everything is being redeemed through Jesus. So listen, it says that all things were reconciled. I, I want to go back to that that verse. It says it was God's good pleasure. It was the Father's good pleasure. I love that. He uses that word Father. It was his good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. So if everything that's broken is broken through separation from God. I mean those poor, those 
poor little mountain goats, they did nothing against God, and yet they're suffering under the curse. Right? You really think the mountain goats just had a coup and said, well, we're going to listen to the serpent too. No, they didn't. They're minding their own business. We did this to them. I mean, you need to apologize next time you drive to Jasper and you see those mountain goats. Sorry, guys. But actually, the scripture says that all creation is waiting for our revealing as sons. Like all creation is waiting for us to step into our rightful place again. We were knocked out of our place through separation from God. We lost our dominion, and now Jesus has won it back. So all of creation is waiting for when we get to step back into that place. Isn't that wonderful? So everything that's broken is broken out of separation from God. So how is everything going to be redeemed? Reconciliation to God. How are you redeemed? Reconciliation. So the first step of reconciliation was that Christ had to take on the thing that made us separate from God to start with. What does the Bible say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if we all sin and came short of the glory of God and Jesus took care of the sin, then what's causing us to fall short of his glory now? Nothing. If sin causes us to fall short of the glory of God and Jesus took the sin, then we no longer fall short of his glory. And I know this is Christianity 101. I know you probably preached this. You probably led people down the Roman road and explained this to them. But I want you to know that this has got to go beyond just your initial salvation experience. This has got to enter every area of your life. How is everything in my life being reconciled back to God? So everything that's going to be right in my life, all the kingdom of God that is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, everything in my life that is right is going to be right because it's back to this. It's, it starts with God, it's done through his power, and it's done for him. Everything I do, I want it to follow that. And you really, you can apply everything to that. And you might say, well, what about walking my dog? How does that glorify God? How, how could it not glorify God? Right? I mean, come on. Everything glorifies him. When you, when, that, when you are reconciled to God and when your heart is for him, everything you do gives him glory. He said that through Jesus, he's going to reconcile all things to himself. That's God's pleasure. That's God's desire for everything is that everything would be brought back to its purpose. I want to ask you a simple question tonight. Is there anything in your life? Because I know that you were far, formerly far off, but you've been brought near. But sometimes we keep things in our life still separate. Sometimes we have learned to do very spiritual things through the power of God. But like I said, we have all these other categories in our life that we've kept separate. And what God is saying is, let those things be reconciled through Christ. Let everything be brought back to God. Let everything be reconciled to God. So I want my life not to be so segmented that I say this is church life and this is home life. Or this is work and this is spiritual. I want it to be so just saturated in him and his purposes that I can't find where he begins or where he ends and I begin because there is no beginning and end. I want everything I do in life to be able to pass that test. Did it start with him? Is it being done through his power? Is it be done, being done for him? Everything in life. And you'll find that when everything in life is brought back to that place, 
It's reconciled to God. You see, God, the scripture here says God didn't just desire to reconcile you. He desired to reconcile all of creation. Now we know that's a process. We know there's some steps to that. We know, like I said, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But everything is meant to come back to a place of life. Death came through separation. Life comes through reconciliation. I want, I want my life to be full of life, if that makes sense. I want my life to be life-giving. You know, the, the Bible says something cool. It says that, it says that uh, uh, it's, it's, it's comparing Adam and Jesus. And he says, you know, Adam was the first living spirit, but Jesus was a life-giving spirit. I just want you to think about that for a second. A living spirit is cool. Living spirit is important. I want to be alive. I was dead, now I'm alive. But, but, you know, something about the life of God, the life of God is not isolated. The life of God is not uh, now you're alive and, and you stay in your alive bubble and everybody else around you is dead. Now the life of God is the image that Jesus portrayed, which is he was alive, but he was life-giving. That's the power of the resurrection. Through the resurrection, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was more than a living spirit. He was a life-giving spirit. And so I want to ask you tonight, are you just a living spirit that's just saying, oh, I, when I get to heaven, I'll, everything will be sweet there? Or are you saying, no, I'm here to give life? That things and people that I touch come alive because the life of God within me is not contained within me. It's not restrained. It's not, it's not stuck here. That we are not just living spirits. We're life-giving spirits. That's what happened when we were reconciled to God. That's what happened. I want you to think about the garden that Adam was left in. Adam was not put in the garden to keep it from going out, getting out of control. He wasn't put in the garden just to get fruits and vegetables for dinner. He was there to make the garden better. You see, that's what God does. When God rules over something, it's better because he's ruling. Isn't that right? Like things thrive. You see, your garden, is it better or worse when you take care of it? If you have a garden in your backyard, some of you are like, oh, <laughs> I've killed quite a few things. It should be better, right? That's the nature of God in us. The nature of God in us is when we rule over something, it's supposed to thrive. Our dominion is not a lid. Our dominion, rather, is, 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 is something that's, that's meant to cause something to flourish. So when God rules over something, it's going to get better. It's going to grow. It's going to thrive. What if, what if everything in your life was better? Because you, were, you, were, you had dominion in that area. And because you have dominion, God has dominion in that area. Right? Mm -hmm. See, I have dominion over, he's given me dominion over the things that he's entrusted to me. And yet, he's my king. He is a king of kings. So in a sense, he's made me a little king. But he is my king. So I'm better because God is ruling over me and when his kingdom comes and his will is done in my life, my life is better for it. Like heaven, it's better because he's getting his way. Well, it should be the same thing with everything he's given you authority over. Your job, your family, your house. Even to a sense, and I know I don't want to take this too far, but even in a sense, your neighborhood. 
You don't have completely control over what your neighbors do. I don't get into that weird stuff where, you know, you're, you're controlling them in the spirit. No, of course not. But I think God put you in that neighborhood so there would be life in that neighborhood. And I believe that there is a level of authority there. If there are spiritual forces at play, then you better believe those forces are affected by a believer moving into the region. Absolutely. Don't you think Canada should be better off because we're here? Absolutely it should. You think Lloydminster should be better off because we're here? Yes, it should. Because we're stepping back into our rightful place as sons and daughters of the king. I want you to... I want you to go back and say, what is coming alive because, because I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm here? What, 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 what in my life is coming back to life because it's being reconciled to God? How do I reconcile these things to God? You reconcile them by going back to that verse again. Did it start with him? If it didn't start with him, but you've asked God and he says, yeah, you go ahead and keep doing that, then commit it to him. Is it being done through his power? Don't do anything if it's not through the power of God. And is it for his glory? You know, that really changes how we treat everything. If the goal of my job is not to make money but to glorify God, it changes how I go to my job. It changes my expectations. It changes what I want out of the job. Now, God wants you to make money. Of course. Amen. (laughs) But that's not the main goal of your job. There's a bigger purpose because there's a bigger purpose to everything we do. It's to show the world God. It's to glorify him. It's to magnify him. It's to give him glory. Thank God he's glorified when his people walk in his light. He's glorified when they abide in him and he abides in them. And they ask whatever they wish and it's done for them. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Be life-giving spirits, folks. Run everything through that filter. Why am I here? And why is everything I, I do? What's the point of everything? You can get lost in a philosopher's drunkenness if you just uh, uh, start asking that question without the, without the basis of what God has said. Some people have just driven themselves mad. They've gone crazy because they couldn't figure it out. It all comes back to this. I think, I keep trying to close, but I'm going to say this. A real good rule of thumb is that when God created everything, he said it was good. Right? So everything will be, I mean, the purpose of everything, I think, is to be restored to its created state. And I don't mean the way it was before we had, a, had our last problem or the way it was before it died. I'm talking about the way it was at the beginning of creation. That's what he's restoring. So that's a good reference point for how things should be. And I think we should use that reference point of how did God create it in the beginning and how did we see it modeled through Jesus Christ? If it lines up with those two things, you're gonna have a real good idea of how the things are supposed to work in your life. So let's, let's stand up and let's give that some prayerful